this, this evening, we are in Judges chapter 16. We continue our study through the book of Judges and specifically the life of Samson. Now, <clears throat> I had titled this evening's message, uh, Bound and Destroyed by an Ungodly Woman. <laughs> what, what a title, right? So we'll go ahead and leave that as a title. Because it's true. And we'll see how. Right? But if I could just, you know, hold your finger there in Judges chapter 16. And turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Because this is, this is the, the lens that we are going to study this chapter through. In Hebrews chapter 9... You know, wait, because I want you to see it with me. Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 32. So it is written, Hebrews eleven thirty-two. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, and who? Samson. Samson's in the, in the lineup here in the Hall of Faith. Jephthah of David, uh, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. And here's this one. Were made strong out of weakness. I believe that is referring to Samson. Be made strong out of weakness. You know, uh, we're going to see just interestingly how it is that we have a man who is supernaturally strong. He, has, he had been divinely touched by the Lord to have this amazing strength that is beyond um, natural human strength. It, it is brought on by the presence of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit would come upon him. And yet this very man demonstrates a weakness that I believe we can relate to, that we can identify with. And so at the same time, we need to see that even in our weakness, the Lord, uh, despite our weakness, desires to use us because his plan and purpose is much greater than even our weakest moment in our lives. He desires to use us, whether as an example or an instrument of righteousness to bring glory to him. Either way, for him, his plans and purposes are much greater than you and I. We should always remember that because what it does is for you and I, what we need in our lives more than ever before, especially in today's day and age, is a little bit of humility before a holy and righteous God. To understand who He is, and at the same time understand how much He loves us and how much grace He's poured out for you and I, upon you and I, that we would walk by His Spirit in His grace, hopefully to His glory, um, as examples of people who are given to Him and desire to walk in obedience. So, I wanted to start with that. That way we could have that perspective. We understand that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, he is identified as one of the faithful. 
So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that even in our weakness, Lord, you are patient with us. And, uh, and we'll see even through the life of Samson, even though uh, he was mostly led by the flesh, that, uh, that you still used him. You not only used him, but when he cried out to you, you listened and you heard. And, and Lord, you empowered him once more. And so, Lord, may we not ever think that we've gone so far as to never be used by you. To go so far as to silence our cry to you. Because you see and you hear all things. May we never grow despondent. At a loss for hope. May we always understand and know that the truth of the matter is is that you're always there. And, And you desire that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so, Father, speak to us, for this is an example, as it says in, in 1 Corinthians. Lord, these are examples for us to benefit from, to see as examples of things not to do, and for those good examples of things to do, that we would bless and honor you. And so strengthen each one of my brothers and sisters as you do myself. We thank you, Lord, for we commit this time into your hands, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in thinking of, of Samson, uh, we can think of a, a few things, you know, just as far as uh, even the, the title of this, this evening's message and, and this uh, chapter. Uh, we, we know that he was bound and dis- destroyed by an ungodly woman. We know that he was bound and destroyed by his own lust. He was bound and destroyed by his eyes. He was bound and destroyed by compromise, taking the Lord lightly, compartmentalizing his life and separating his faith from certain areas of his life. Men, women, brothers and sisters, as soon as attempts are made to bind us by someone else, we should discern that they do not have our best interest at heart. Much less when they reveal their desire to draw us away from the Lord. To draw us away from the fellowship of His people. To draw us away from serving Him. Those are all clues, by the way. We should always discern and understand that that is not what the Lord desires. Our strength is in our fellowship with the Word And our strength is in the leading of the Holy Spirit. Our strength is in prayer and in the fellowship of the saints. Our strength is in serving the Lord and living lives set aside completely for God's glory. And according to the Bible, we are to know and give ourselves to such things that we may grow into spiritual maturity. As it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 17. That we would know and understand and apply sound doctrine. That we would, as we all grow together, that we would mature to such a place that we would not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. That we would not be taken for fools when someone comes along and steers us away. I point to this as far as uh, I had mentioned Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 17 
because what we'll be learning this evening regarding Samson are lessons that point to the weakening or strengthening, strengthening of the person of God. That is, I, I say the weakening because we'll see an example of weakening, but the strengthening of the person of God, the child of God, because it serves as an example for us to learn from. Because for us, what we choose to do will either destroy us or build us up in the Lord. And there is nothing in between. If we, if we think there's somewhere in between that we can hold, you're, you're sadly mistaken. It's either one way or the other. There's no in-between. So the question before we start in verse 1, uh, some questions. What, what lures you away from the Lord? And you can identify that by asking the Lord to reveal that to you. What is it that lures you, draws you away from the Lord? There are certain lures um, that work on certain fish. All right? Yeah, there, there, there's, uh, there's some uh, worms and different types that catch different types of fish. So the enemy is really smart, and he'll dangle whatever it is that draws your attention in front of you long enough, and he'll wait long enough to where you will weaken a bit and be drawn to that lure and be taken. What's that lure? What binds you up and takes away the strength of the Lord? What sin, what thing, what person is the weakness you allow to be used to pluck your eyes out so that you are blind and useless? Because that's exactly what we see. In the life of Samson. So I ask these questions because what lessons we can learn from Samson this evening. So let's take heed to the word of God. Judges chapter 16 verse 1. Samson went to Gaza and there he saw a prostitute. And he went into her. The Gazites were told Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying... Let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two, door, the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. So Samson, once again, as we, as we read there, I mean the first verse itself, Samson again did what was right in his own eyes. Another situation with another woman that was not right, it was sin. He was flippant, he was careless, and he was blatant with the sin of fornication. Just straight out, in your face, did not care. And he just went to this prostitute and went into her. She was a prostitute, prostitute, number one. She was a Gazite, number two, which is a Philistine and could have even been an Amorite uh, of Amorite origin from before the Philistines in, invaded the region. So uh, there was some time before that that um, the Gazites were known um, to have come from the area of Mesopotamia along the Euphrates. And um, so that was previous to that. So they weren't originally from Gaza. They were semi-nomadic people from the area I just mentioned, Mesopotamia, uh, along the Euphrates River, and uh, which is today known as Syria or parts of Iraq. So here's a man who, on one hand, desired to be used by God. And he had followed the Nazarite vow strictly for the most part. But on the other hand, he was driven by the flesh. He was driven by his lustful desires for women. 
And that had led him to make bad decisions previously, as we had studied before and now again as we see in the very first portion of this chapter. His weakness of the flesh was not surrendered to and not given in humility and submission to the Lord. You know, that's why I continually say, you know, the one thing that really we should be known for is our humility, first and foremost, toward the Lord. And that will reveal itself in our humility toward each other. Compartmentalizing. This is the separation of our lives into categories into which we allow God to go into some and not into others. We allow Him to lead in some, but not in all. To govern in some, but not in all. To rule in a few, but in others, we allow the flesh and our own desires. We somehow justify this and think we're doing good because because of the existence of one compartment. We can call it religious activity or the participation occasionally of things that have to do with the church. We believe that somehow that's enough and don't want to appear too radical in the influence that God desires to have in our whole lives and in every area of our lives. That's just a bit too much. And so we somehow justify this compartmentalizing of our faith to just certain areas and not all. As we see here, Samson provides a pretty clear example of this. But what he may not realize and what we need to know is that sin in any area of our lives will completely affect our relationship with Jesus and eventually negatively impact every area of our lives. You see, sin is likened to leaven. A little leaven, the Bible says, leavens the whole lump. And so if we allow some sin to remain, that which we know to be sin, it'll eventually affect, it'll impact every, every area of our lives in some way, shape, or form. We don't have the power or ability to contain our sin within the compartment we think we can. It's like saying we're going to put a little leaven in the lump just right here, and and you're only going to affect this portion right here. Well, that's not the nature of that leaven. The nature of that leaven is to go and affect impact, spread throughout the whole thing. Sin's goal is to destroy you completely. In Christ, we are victors. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So as we consider those things which we've been taught in the New Testament by the very words of Jesus Christ and by the Apostle Paul inspired and God breathed, We need to understand that sin should be dead in our lives. And we are to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are to abide in Jesus Christ because without Him and not abiding in Him, 
the Bible says we can do nothing. We can't do anything worthwhile, nothing good. Why? Because we're relying on the flesh. And sooner or later, that flesh will drive you down a path that is contrary to God. Even though Samson had given himself to sin again by laying with this prostitute, God used him. And this is where we we battle, right? Just as I said last week, sometimes we, we look at someone like this and we think, how can it continue? How can God continue to use this man? Being so flippant, so light about who God is and, and bringing him glory. He's been consecrated. He's been set aside for the purpose and glory of God. And yet here is this man that immediately, hey, let's go. Let's go to, let's go to the red light district and see what we can pick up. But God used him again. And God did give him supernatural strength. As we see here, he was able to rip the doors from the gate and the very posts themselves and carry them a distance to the top of this hill in front of Hebron. God did not use him because of his sin. That's what we need to understand. And this is where we need to start separating some things. God did not use him because of his sin. It wasn't that, that, that was not what was going to be celebrated. That's not what was going to be um, encouraged That's not the reason why he was receiving favor from the Lord. Despite his sin, God had a greater purpose for Samson. And remember that Samson will be used to begin to deliver the Israelites out from under the Philistines. And we read that from the very beginning. Not completely, but he's going to be used to begin to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. I like the short article that um, Mandy had forwarded in regards to this uh, mosaic that was found. And this article is in, uh, I believe it's a magazine, Archaeology, in September and October, the September-October issue uh, in 2013. It was in the region of Galilee, and it was a mosaic that was found depicting Samson carrying the gate of Gaza on his shoulders. This was a 5th century mosaic. And so it was just but 400, or 400 years after Christ that, that this was um, put together, this mosaic. Just absolutely beautiful. And it's just another piece that lines up perfectly with Scripture. And there's, there's lots. There, there's, there's so many archaeological findings, so, so many historical facts um, that point back to the... Uh, to to the Bible, and uh, and so it can't be it can't be refuted. Even with with uh, extra biblical writings and archaeological findings, it all points to um, the uh, the details that are found in Scripture. I wanted to say something before we continued on in regards to Samson and this whole situation. Just because God gets us out of something, does not mean we are in His will. Or that somehow we're doing something that pleases him. Or the sin we are engaging in is somehow not important to him. God's purpose is much bigger than we are. Our aim, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, the doors that are quote-unquote opened 
the favor that perhaps we perceive to have uh, to be receiving. Our aim is always, regardless of any of that, uh, is should be to please Him through obedience to His Word, that we would be found faithful, no matter what, no matter what. Verse four. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him, and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound, that one could subdue you. The Valley of Sorek. So, the Valley of Sorek means the Valley of Choice Wine. Again, even the location should have been ample warning for Samson. As he, remember, was a Nazarite and was not supposed to even be around grapes or great products, especially wine or strong drink. He wasn't supposed to be around this stuff. And again, here he was. And here he is in love again with a woman who was living in this valley of choice wine. And even though Delilah is not identified as being a a Philistine, it is commonly thought that she was. Delilah, you see, is a Hebrew name, but it was a common name, which means dainty one, but is also known to mean amorous, delight, and temptress, all in line with, indeed, what she did with Samson. And as soon as the lords of the Philistines learned that Samson was with another woman, they approached her and offered her this great sum of money. It was great. It was, it was a lot of money. Here, we're offering you this. And each one of us will offer you, I believe it, was, it, it equaled about 140 pounds of silver each. Imagine that. We'll bring you 140. I'll bring you 140. He'll bring you 140. And then all, all of us will bring you 140 pounds of silver each. If you will find out where his strength lies, where Samson's strength lies, in, in how it is that he could be overcome, where his weakness was as well. Again, this implies that it was obvious that Samson's strength was supernatural, that they knew it was supernatural. There, there was just something beyond uh, his looks, because his looks were deceiving. That's why they wondered, they were in awe. Here's Samson, and where is it that he was getting his strength from? It was a gift from God, and they thought that perhaps it was somehow tied to something he had committed to or devoted himself to, and they wanted to find out. And they found the right person. Delilah didn't care about Samson. It was obvious. Right from the get-go, it was revealed that her heart was not with him. She, She... couldn't care less about him. She was a sellout and quickly went to work to try and ferret out the reason for Samson's strength and how he could be weakened. The dollar signs were in her eyes. This is all she wanted. She, she wanted that over her relationship with Samson. Verse 7 says, Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings and that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. 
Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. There's the first time. Let's take a look at the second time. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a threat. So two, two, two times she attempted. She asked. He told her some wrong thing. And, and uh, he, he snapped both the bowstrings and the ropes. Just like as if they were nothing. The first clue that Delilah was up to something devious was her question. It wasn't even the fact that she bound him. But, but just the question alone. Uh, hey, what's your secret to your strength? And what's the secret to perhaps... Your weakness. How is it that you would become weak? Clue, right? I mean, these are, to us as we read this, this is, by the way, this is how it looks to, our, to the Lord as he's looking at our lives. Think about that. It's like there's these clues, there's these things that we should be discerning, we should be aware of, we should be clear-minded about, we should be discerning. You know, for us, we look at that and we, we think, well, of course, right? Of course that should have been the first clue. Well, here's a second clue, though. Um, hey, when she attempted to test this out and bind Samson, I, I don't know. That could have been the second clue. But not only did she do it once, but she did it twice now, Right? Successively, one after the other. Samson didn't know it at the time, but she had coordinated some Philistines who were lying in wait for him. Her heart was immediately revealed to him, and anyone could have warned Samson of this. But listen to this. Where was Samson? He was with the enemy. He, he, was, he was not in the fellowship, in fellowship with, with anyone else. He was all by himself. He was given counsel. And, and really, we need to go back to the, the fact that he didn't even receive counsel from his parents. So why would he receive counsel from anyone else? He was a prideful man, full of himself, and he was led by the flesh. We, couldn't, we can't argue with that, as, as we see evidence of that in, in even the past chapters that we've been go, going over. If you see anything contrary to that, please let me know. But there isn't, is there? And here he was in this place. He was in the midst of the enemy camp and was led by his lust, his eyes. His fellowship was the world around him. His fellowship was the world. Sometimes we have brothers and sisters who, um, you know, they say, you know what, I, I don't need to be in church. I don't need to be in fellowship with everyone else. I can do this on my own. That's a lie from the depths of hell. 
The Bible is very clear that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves as is the manner of some, but doing so even more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. I don't know about you, but I need fellowship with you. I need your encouragement. I need to hear how it is that the Lord's working with you so that I would be reminded of God's faithfulness. I want to see how you handle certain situations and be reminded that God's wisdom is applicable and, it, and, it's, and it's good every time. I need, I need to know those things. And I, and I need to see evidence of that with you. I, I need to have brothers and sisters who come alongside who also say, hey, let's go, let's do this thing. Let's serve the Lord, let's bless Him, let's glorify Him, let's praise Him, let's sing His praises. And here he was by himself in the world, just as many are today. And this man was led by his lust, he was led by his eyes. So Samson was blinded in his sin, and he didn't see the darkness of Delilah's heart. There's darkness all around him, and he didn't see the darkness of Delilah's heart. Her evil intentions. Of course. Broke the seven fresh bowstrings that Delilah had bound him with and his secret was withheld. But at this point he was talking. He was, he was already talking. He shouldn't have said a word. Delilah then accused Samson of mocking her, playing him with her emotional expression of distrust. That should have been clearly seen by Samson. He, yet he couldn't see even that. He, he couldn't think past his lust. That's all. What he wanted was in front of him. This person. The flesh. Didn't matter what she was saying. Didn't matter what she was asking for. It didn't matter what she had done. He just couldn't see past this person in front of her. How blind is that, right? As we look at this, this is why these things serve us as examples, as moments of teachings for us, of things to learn from and not do. And this is a great example of how the lust of our flesh can make us lose sound discernment of what is right before the eyes of the Lord. And it doesn't have to be another person. It can be anything, including alcohol, drugs, friends, Gossip, anger, jealousy, worry, depression, it, and the list goes on and on and on. It, all of that can, can blind us. We can't see past it. We can't, we can't. It's right here. Someone tries to talk to you and give you encouragement in seeking the Lord and, and His truth, and, and, and if we're full of it, we're just we're blind. We can't, we can't see anything. It's like we can't see it. That's why Christianity is a life of surrender to the Lord. A conscientious and deliberate surrender to the truth of God's word. It has to be that. It has to be that, that he is the one who is preeminent. Who is truly Lord in our lives. And no matter what, what we're faced with. The difficulties of life. That we can see him beyond it all. All of those things have to do with the flesh and not the spirit. And can blind us to, do, to, to what God desires for us. Blind us to all of that. Samson was indeed blinded by his lust for Delilah. And she asked him again, and he told her something similar to what he told her before, but not quite the same. These new ropes, if you bind me with those, well, then, yeah, I'll be weakened and I'm yours. 
but of course he broke those as well. The, the thing here is that Samson should have run from the ungodly woman. Kind of like we have an example of another man. He ran from a woman. He had purpose in his heart that he, he wasn't going to sin against the Lord. He had neglected and ignored and turned away from her advances previously, her longing eyes. The man's name is Joseph. And the woman's name is, well, doesn't have a name. It's Potiphar's wife. It could be any woman. It could be anything that is batting their eyes at you to draw you away from being obedient and honoring to the Lord. Anything like that. See, Joseph was even willing to drop everything and be accused of doing something that he didn't do in order to be right before the Lord. And he ran. This is exactly what Samson should have done. Identified that this was, this was nothing good. This is not according to what the Lord desires for me. It's not what I should be doing. And he should have run away. Should have run away. But he didn't. And his thinking was clouded. And it was perverted. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Do you know how to identify bad company? Is what they're encouraging you in godly or not? It, it's really simple. It's one of those things to where it's, it's, it's as clear as what we see here. First clue, second clue, first clue, second clue. You know what I mean? It's like you, you're in a situation, is, is that person good company or bad company? It could be for the moment too. Don't I'm not saying that this person is, is evil, right? It could be that the person at that moment is not good company. Why? Because you just test out what they're saying. Is what they're encouraging you in godly or not? Is it biblically sound or not? Is it something that would bless and glorify God or not? Because if you're following ungodly counsel, then it's going to ruin your morals. Good morals. Well, Samson was blind. She bound him again and did the same thing as before. And of course, it didn't work. And we see how the ropes were, were tossed aside like little toys. And nothing, nothing like that could, could keep him. Verse 13, as we continue, says, Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with a web and fasten it tight with a pin... Then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. Closer. It's closer. You see, as I said at the very beginning, the enemy is always relentless. He is, he's patient. He will hang that lure in front of you as long as it takes. It's just there. Just there. And if you allow him to, he'll tire you out. He'll vex your soul. He'll press into you and he'll tire you out. 
Unless you run away from him, he will harp on you and wear on you until you start to compromise like Samson is here. Samson's ability to keep his secret, secret is slowly being eroded by the company he has decided to keep. And her manipulation that he is exposing himself to is having an impact on him. He's allowing this to happen. Samson gets closer to telling her where his strength was. She is now at the very place. The hair, bring it together. Tie it up. That's, you know, bind that. Well, close, that's the hair right there, right? Not accurate enough, though. And he broke from the web that she had woven his hair into. But now the enemy had slowly worked on Samson's heart and on placing Samson into his web and had weakened his will. Full compromise was just around the corner. Verse 15 says, And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. She pressed him, and his soul was vexed to death, is how we see it described here. He was, uh, in other words, um, this is an expression of what, what we would know. He, she annoys me to death. How annoying! I can't stand it. Right? And for him, he was frustrated at this point and just didn't, he didn't want to hear it anymore. His soul was vexed to death. That's it. I'm done. This is it. I'm going to pour my heart out, heart out right now. And I'm going to tell you exactly where I gain my strength from and where my weakness can come. By the way, this was the same thing that happened with his wife, his first wife and. Uh, Judges chapter 14, verse 17. She had pressed him with tears for seven days. And here for days, this woman pressed him. And he was done. And notice what's being demanded here. Please notice what's being demanded here. She was demanding that Samson compromise himself in his relationship with God for the sake of proving his love for her. Can I say that again? She was demanding that Samson compromise himself in his relationship with God for the sake of proving his love for her. To be honest with you, we have spouses that do that today. May we avoid doing anything close to this at any time whatsoever. Do not ask your spouse to choose between you and God. We can do this in a variety of ways. And we know those ways. We know the ways of manipulating our spouses 
by vexing their souls. We're going to tire them out. I'm, I'm, I'm going to press his or her soul to the point to where they're going to be vexed. They're going to be tired of this. They're going to be, oh, so full of frustration, they're just going to give in. Because what Delilah did, any person can do. And unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I see this even with spouses. How sad is that? And at some point, the other one just gives up. I'm done. I, I'm not going to fight this anymore. And you see men and women who, who at that point are, are done. You don't see them serving anymore the way they used to. I mean, some men and women who are, who are serving greatly in, in different ways. that You see their passion for serving the Lord, for being with them, being in fellowship. And it was just tiresome to, to grab that spouse and like drag him or her to like, oh, let's go fellowship. Oh, again, church again. It happens. Don't be fooled into thinking it doesn't happen. It happens. And perhaps someone's listening. Maybe not you. Maybe all of you are just perfect, right? And you don't, you don't do that at all. I'm probably not speaking to you. Probably someone on maybe Facebook Live or on podcast or somewhere else, right? Just be careful. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because ultimately, you're doing it to yourself. You're undermining yourself. And what the Lord desires to do in your marriage, in your family, with your children, and with the church that you belong to, the fellowship of the saints, the brethren for their sake too. Don't do that. His soul was vexed and he told her everything. You know what I found interesting there, and I didn't jot it down, but as I'm reading through... Notice that he had to tell her that he was a Nazarite from birth. I just caught that as, as I was going through. You mean she didn't know? It's kind of like that person that says, here, I'm a Christian, professes that. But you couldn't know outside of these four walls. You, would, you wouldn't know at all. There wouldn't be any evidence of it. Here we have Samson that has to tell... Oh, now, now she's putting two and two together. Ah. <laughs> Listen, I may be a Philistine, but I know the vow of the Nazarite. I know what you're supposed to be given to. And now I know that you poured your, your very heart out to me. I know that what you're telling me now is true. Now. Now I've got you. Choices. Run from this ungodly relationship and be faithful to God or stay and be unfaithful to God. Samson made his choice. Verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines saying, Come up again for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in her hands she made him sleep on her knees. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. So notice what she did. Delilah immediately called in an army of the enemy to come and stand by until Samson was ready to be taken. Delilah put Samson into a slumber right in her arms. In the arms of the enemy, 
he lay. And she just, I would, I'm just thinking, stroked his head, just, oh, I'm yours and you're mine. Delilah accepted the offer of deception and it was sealed. Full payment was given. She was so sure of this. It was done. The, Lord, the ones that, that had made the deal with her, they came, they said, good is done, here you go. Here's payment. And Delilah didn't even do the deed. She had another come and cut Samson's hair while she made sure he remained sleeping. Delilah then began to torment Samson once his hair had been cut. She knew it was done. It's interesting that this word is used. It's torment. It's a word that describes suffering, even at that point. But notice that this suffering began with manipulation and, and a compromise in Samson's life. He allowed himself to come to this point to where he was tormented by the very person that he thought was fine, was okay to be with, and yet was a compromise. It was all a continuation of the evil work that started way before this moment. This was simply the result of Samson's failure to run from this wrong relationship. And like I said, it doesn't have to be a person. It can be anything that we offer ourselves to and have this relationship with to where we are in communion with. That we hold that thing as being very valuable in our lives that is not of God. For Samson, it was Delilah. He should have run from this wrong relationship and he didn't. His hair, by the way, represented his consecration to God. It was, it was the, the very thing that represented this, this Nazarite vow. It seems like nothing else remained. I mean, remember that he went to the carcass of the lion and he brought the lion out, or the, the honey out, and he gave it to his mom and dad. Uh, defilement there. I mean, he, he was among the... Uh, the vineyards and um, the the parting and all of that and and so we see no evidence except for you know his long hair and that was that was the last thing that's the one thing that for him represented his consecration to God. Now that the consecration had been cut off, so to speak, Samson was wide open to the enemy as he was now weakened apart from God. Verse twenty. As we continue, says, and, he's, and she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Samson thought as he came to, out of his sleep, that it would be as before, but it wasn't. He trusted the enemy, and the enemy had overtaken him in his compromise. And it was compromise after compromise after compromise, and now it all caught up to him. The Lord had left him. He was left to fend for himself. In the flesh he prized so much and fed so often. At this point, God super 
God's supernatural and divine strength that he had given, Samson had left him and he was captured by the enemy. More accurately, Samson surrendered himself to the enemy. Now he was physically blinded and bound and forced to work as a slave of the enemy, just as he was spiritually up to this point. He had given himself to the enemy long before, spiritually, long before he was physically, personally. And this was the wage of his sin. He was dead to God, and he was a slave of sin. He was a servant of the enemy now. But at the same time, it's a great example, a great illustration. We can look at this, right? At the same time, listen to this. This last verse in verse 22 that we read, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Samson had lost his eyes and his strength, but we are never so far gone that we cannot repent and be used by the Lord, even when we have experienced the effects of our sin previously. Verse 23, we'll see how that works out. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. So uh, uh, when they were a little merry, meaning they were, they were a little inebriated. Right? They were, lost a little judgment there, and so they brought Samson out. As the Philistines were worshiping their god, Dagon, and they brought Samson out to rejoice over their enemy by having, uh, over their enemy that, uh, by having him captured and then at that point, they were rejoicing, they were praising their God. Because they said it was their God, Dagon, that had delivered Samson into their hands. They thought this, they thought that their God had delivered Samson into their hand, but it was actually his own compromise that delivered Samson into their hands. Not any other God, because really the bottom line is that there is no other God but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Everything else is as our creation. It's, it's our imagination. We put that together, but there's only one true living God. There is no other God. In fact, again, when they were married, they wanted to put Samson on display, and they, so they called out and, for him, and, and they wanted to bring him out so that, they would, so that he would entertain them by making a fool out of him publicly, and they brought him out of his prison cell to show off their prized capture. Here he is right here. Here's Samson. And Samson asked those that were taking care of him, that, that brought him out, that, were entrusted, that he was entrusted to, show me where the pillars of the house are. I want to rest my hands on the pillars of the house. The enemy will do the very same thing to us. You know, it's the very same enemy that dangles that lure in front of us, that tells us, oh, that very thing that you're not supposed to do, oh, it's sweet. You know, you should, you should taste that because, you know, 
it's like, go ahead and indulge in the flesh. It's really, it feels really good. And then when you do, you know who the devil is? He's the accuser of the brethren. What he'll do at that point, he'll then at that point turn to God and tell him, <laughs> that's your child there? That he's yours? Did you just see what he did? He is guilty of sin against you. He just did that horrible thing. The enemy will do this to us too. He'll mock us and make a fool out of us when we're captured. You think at some point, you know, the world, the world will mock us for even that. Okay, I'll go to the world. No, 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 why didn't you stay just faithful to your God? It's like, wait a minute, I'm confused. Well, confusion doesn't come from the Lord. You're only confused because you're following the flesh and not the spirit. He who stands strong in the Lord will never be confused. He'll stand strong in the Lord and he'll be of a sound mind. He will know that he is doing the right thing before a holy and righteous God. But the enemy will mock us. He'll make a fool out of us. Especially at the time when we're captured. Let us not ever be captured by the things of the world or of the enemy. Verse 26 And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. So perhaps Samson started to think at this time, while bound in his prison cell, about all that had taken place, and perhaps he repented. And when brought out to be displayed and mocked publicly, he realized that he could be used one more time by the Lord, maybe, maybe one more time, as he put his hands on the pillars of the house. And he finally, listen, he finally called out to the Lord at this time. He had his hands on the pillar, on the pillars of the house, and he finally cried out. He finally called out to the Lord. And Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. The Lord honored Samson's last prayer. And thus, Samson began to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines after having judged Israel for 20 years. You see, in the midst of this all, and, and I always want to remind us, in the midst of it all, we need to see God. We need to see 
what he's doing. We need to see that God is truly a gracious and merciful God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, who relents from disaster. In fact, this is the very reason why Jonah, instead of going to Nineveh, wanted to go to Tarshish, found a door of opportunity in Joppa to go to Tarshish, had to deal with what he dealt with, with the whale and the whole storm and all of that, and was sent back to Nineveh. And we know that at the point that Nineveh repented and God relented from disaster, Jonah threw a tantrum. And he said, this is why I knew that you are a God who is truly gracious and merciful, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and who relents from disaster. That's why I didn't want to go preach the gospel to that Nineveh, those wicked and evil people, because I despise them. Oh, God's plan and purposes are way beyond you little Jonah. It's not about you. It's not about us. In fact, you could say that Jonah, Jonah's attitude, his whole perspective was contrary to the character and will of the Father. Wasn't it? That's why we can't insist on our own. We have to know what what the will of the Lord is. And, and, and in spite of the flesh, we need to submit to him and do what pleases and honors him. And so as we saw from the very beginning, Hebrews 11.32 points to the fact that Samson was listed as a man of faith who was made strong out of weakness according to Hebrews 11.34. I believe we sung a song about that. Samson's strength was brought back one more time and he killed more of the enemies in this single act than in all the other times combined. Remember at one, one point he grabbed a jawbone, a new jawbone of, of a donkey and put up piles of a thousand Philistines, right? Well, in this one moment he brought down the house and he killed more Philistines in that one time than all the previous times combined. By the way, I know that this is something that comes out of this, this act, this situation. God does not glorify um, suicide bombers. Um, this act, he does not glorify. In fact, he was a tragedy in the sense because it could have been very different Evidenced by the previous examples of how God strengthened Samson. God desired to use Samson in his obedience. Remember, you know, if you know God's word, we understand that, that he prefers and desires obedience, right? Not sacrifice, he prefers obedience. And so that's why we know, even with Samson, it's not that, okay, the Lord, he, the Lord knows all things. But he knows that, hey, Samson, uh, in spite of what he's doing here the wrong things that he's doing, he's still going to serve God's greater purpose. Despite his sin. But God does prefer obedience. Although Samson was used by God, he is an example of a man who could have been used very differently by God. He had his eyes gouged out. He did all the things that we've been learning of up to this point. 
did all of those things. He could have been used very differently by God. Samson was weakened and bound by the lust of the flesh. This led to his compromise and eventual bondage in his weakness. His life ended blind and bound. The consequences of his sin were severe. So I would, what I would hope for through this is we see God's faithfulness, yet, yet that even in the very end, the Lord still, he heard his call, he heard his cry, and he used him one last time. I don't know if perhaps at that point, had Samson not repented, that that's the way his life would, would have ended. Because he even at that point would have been, would have already began to deliver the Israelites out of the hands of the Philistines. He'd already been doing that. Right? This is one, one final blow. I want to close with this. And please turn with me and, and here's what, where we'll close. This is some application and something to consider as we close. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. <clears throat> now these things took place as examples for us, that we, may not, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ... To the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Oh, Father, we thank you, Lord, that as we're reminded of the fact that these are things that are written for our benefit, that they may serve as examples of things that we ought to not partake in, Lord, they, they serve as warnings to us. And at the same time, you, you tell us in your word that with every temptation, oh, there is a way of escape. And you desire that we should take that way of escape, that back door. That we would not succumb to that temptation. And that then it then becomes sin. But that we would run like Joseph from that temptation. To not entertain evil thoughts or intents or even the company of people who are encouraging that which is contrary to you, which we know to be evil. Instead, fill us with your spirit. Help us to walk according to your will that we may bring you glory to honor you 
And we know that for us, instead of also being used as examples of things not to do, Lord, I pray that we would serve as examples, perhaps, of ways in which we're following you and honoring you and glorifying you. And let us encourage each other for those things. For your word tells us that we ought to come together in fellowship to stir each other up to love and good works. So, Lord, let us be those people, mature and of a sound mind, keeping our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith and honoring you. Blessed is our God, worthy to be praised and honored. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name.